Oh, well, good morning and welcome to Springbrook. I could watch that video over and over and over. Don't you just love the promises of God? We're so glad that you are with us this morning. We've got the, the Pokemon. I think we're at geolocation, and we actually have the, the Uversion Bible app event running. So you can follow along with some of our verses if you're into Uversion. I tell you, this next generation is uh, into the technology piece, and so we're trying to figure out how to connect with them. And so, uh, and, and it's fun. I got some great Bible plans on you. How many of you use Uversion? Anybody use Uversion? It's got some great reading plans on it. Really helps with some devotions. And uh, if you're looking for a place to uh, to find a place to get connected, there's some great apps. You can go to our website, springbrook.org/resources, and uh, we've got some things you can download. We've got our verse uh, for the month that you can reflect on and memorize. And so we want to resource you uh, to help you to experience um, all the love and the hope that God offers. Uh, and so uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. We're on a series on favorite Bible stories, and I have been preparing a message on John. 11 for the past week, looking at the resurrection of Lazarus and, um, and just all of that entails. And as I've been working through this uh, preparation for the last week, there was just something that was just in my gut that was just kind of felt like it was missing, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I mean, I love the story of Lazarus. It is one of my favorite stories. And I love, the, I love just watching how Jesus uh, ministers uh, to his friends and to his family and those that are closest to him. I love the idea of Lazarus being raised from the dead and overcoming the grave. And ultimately, that's the hope that we have in us as Christians, right? That this world is not all there is. But through our faith in Christ, we have the assurance of eternity and hope in heaven. Uh, but that assurance and that eternity and all that hope that's available to us is available to us today as well. And so we're not just sitting around heaven uh, waiting for that. God promises us new life in Christ. And so I'm thinking through the hope that we have today, uh, I started to feel about, you know, as I've been looking at that passage, just thinking, like, how do I develop that? And I was kind of working through that. I woke up yesterday, and so I got up to look at my notes and was going to kind of polish up my sermon a little bit and was just kind of reflecting on that hope. And I had something else that uh, God uh, stirred my heart on. Uh, when I turned on my computer just to check my email, this popped up from CNN. And I saw that, and the uh, more I reflected on it, I thought, man, that is... That's what was missing for me. You know, I was thinking about the hope that we have and its reality that's based in our experience. We're going through a lot today, aren't we? I know there's a lot going on across our country. There's a lot going on with our leaders. And as I was studying, God just kind of moved me over to Ezekiel. <laughs> so God just rewired my heart for the message this morning. And so that's only happened to me one other time. I had, uh, I was a pastor up at Meadowland Church in Johnsburg, and we came into church one morning, and the power was out. It's completely dark. And so somebody said, well, we should cancel church. I said, you don't cancel church? So we fired up the worship team. We did everything in acapella, and I couldn't see my notes. And so I just uh, taught from Romans about the hope that we have in Christ. And it was one of the most powerful times that we'd had together as a church family. We were completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. Uh, through that time together. It was such a great feeling. And that's what happened to me yesterday. And so all the work that I had done on that passage in John 11, God said, hey, I've got a new word for you from Ezekiel 37. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So I think about what's going on across our country. I've got a lot of friends and family uh, that are first responders. I have a lot of friends and family that are police officers. And uh, they are in turmoil, my friends. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. And uh, it's been an opportunity for us to through our partnership with uh, Nationwide Chaplaincy Service, we have an opportunity to speak into that 
and to provide peace and comfort and work with those police officers. In fact, Tim Perry, the president of the organization that we partner with, um, got called by the Dallas Police Department and got invited down to kind of come help those officers work through some of the pain, the trials that they're going through. So it's an opportunity, it's a privilege for us to be able to minister to those in our that are that are our immediate community uh, that serve as first responders. It's a privilege for me to be a chaplain there and uh, just to be able to minister to them and then to also to speak into those issues uh, as it relates to um, our culture and the things working through um, there as well. You know, those tensions are high in this country. I know God's at work, but uh, let me ask you this. I'll have that question down at the bottom. Is there a leader who can stop the chaos and heal America. And that was the question that kind of gripped my heart. Because I'm not sure that there is a leader that can fix that. You know, there's a lot of things going on in our lives. Every one of us has come here this morning with something going on in our life. If it's not national, it's personal. There's a lot of chaos in each one of our lives. I know just in the past couple of months, I've been involved in eight funerals. Last month was my mom's. That was the closest to me, and I'm still processing through that. We've had two families at Springbrook. We've had two families in our community. And so I've been around a lot of death, around a lot of funerals, and just trying to look for how to encourage others and find that hope. And that, find that for myself as well. The story of Lazarus in John 11 has been such an encouragement to me because it tells us about the hope that we have in heaven and the hope that we have now. But I want to fully look at the hope that we have now because I think that's something that God is prompting all of our hearts to give some thought through. There's a cloud over our economy. Uh, People are under stress. Politics are heating up. We have nationwide protests. Uh, I feel like it's just an area of time that we're heading into that is volatile. And so is there a leader that can stop that chaos and heal America? And so let me ask you this. Do you think the solution's here? (laughs) You know, I think that question got asked, and I think the candidates are trying to position themselves as if they're the leader that that can... Bring healing to this country and stop the chaos. But I'll just give you the short version right now. I don't think that that's it. (laughs) I don't think that there is a leader that can heal our land, that can stop the chaos. And I don't think that we should be turning to our presidents to find that solution there either. I mean, where should we turn in times of crisis? Where can we turn in the chaos? Where can we turn for healing? I don't know one person that I have talked to uh, in a long time that knows what to do with this current election race. <laughs> Everyone has an opinion, but in the end, I think there's a sense of desperation. I feel like we're at a tipping point. And the question being asked of our nation is valid. What are we to do? Where do we turn? There is no single leader, and I don't think the president's our solution. And you know what's interesting This is not the first time that this question has been asked. It's not the first time that it's been asked uh, in our own country, in our own experience. It's not the first time that it's been asked uh, from a biblical perspective. In fact, it's something that has been asked, I think, quite frequently. Ezekiel in the Old Testament had to face uh, some of these same issues in his time. Uh, Ezekiel was one of those prophets that had an opportunity to see and experience firsthand the chaos, what was going on in his nation and all the effects of that. And that's where I want to turn our attention to this morning is the lessons that we can learn from the prophet Ezekiel as he has faced his own issues and people have faced their own issues. A lot of similarities 
between what was happening in the Old Testament and what's happening now. 3,000 years ago, God's people were a united kingdom. They were one. They were focused. And in 930 B.C., due to sin and a series of ungodly kings, there is disunity in the kingdom and there's a split. In the north and the southern kingdoms, they split. The northern kingdom would last about another 200 years before um, it would fall just to do the ungodliness, the sinfulness, and the fact that they turned their backs on God. They're conquered by the Syrians in 722. The southern kingdom would make it about another 135 years, but just through a series of bad decisions and sin and ungodly kings, they also would be destroyed and they'd be carried off by the Babylonians. And the temple that Solomon, God's presence manifested itself in, would be destroyed because of their sin and disobedience in 586. The Babylonians came. They, they just hauled everybody off into captivity. They pilfered the land. They destroyed everything. And they hauled everybody off into captivity. And Ezekiel is one of the prophets that's involved in that. Ezekiel is one of the prophets. He's one of the people. And he gets hauled off into captivity with the Babylonians. And he's reporting everything that he sees. He gave warning In the first several chapters of Ezekiel, he's warning the people, and then it actually comes to fruition. And so not only does he warn the people it's going to happen, but then it happens, and he's a part of it. He'd be the ultimate CNN reporter on the spot, firsthand, sees everything, recording it, speaking against it, recording it, but then also providing God's people hope through their trials and their tribulations. If you brought your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 22. I'd like to begin reading at verse 23 through 29, and then we're going to stop there at the end. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel says this, The hand of the Lord was uh, upon me and brought out, and he brought me up out of dry lands. And, and he's going to give a vision that God gives him as a result of the chaos that's going on. Ezekiel would get a vision from God about the fact that he's going to provide hope And we're going to go through chapter 37 in just a few moments. But before we get to chapter 37 and we see that hope, Ezekiel is recording some things that are going on uh, earlier in the beginning of chapter 2. In chapter 22, he records everything that the land is experiencing. He's recording the chaos. He's recording the captivity. And he tells the people for the reason that these things are happening. He's talking about Jerusalem's sin. He's going to give them a vision of hope in a little bit. But earlier in chapter 22, he says to them what's happening. And and what he records in chapter 22 is what I think we're experiencing today. In chapter 22, beginning in verse 23, it says this, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Say to the land, say to the nation, You are a land that has no rain or showers in the day of wrath. There's a conspiracy of you. There's a conspiracy of your nation. There's a conspiracy of the princesses. Within her, like a roaming, a roaring lion, lion tearing their prey apart, tearing the prey apart, they're going to devour people like treasures and precious things, and they're going to make many, many widows and, uh, within her. And so this nation is tearing itself apart. Her priests do violence, and my law is profaned. My holy things are profaned. You're not able to distinguish between what's holy and what's common. You're not able to distinguish between what is good and is bad, what is holy and what is common. And you are teaching that there is no difference between unclean and clean things. People in the nations have have shut their eyes to keeping my Sabbath. 
so that I am profaned among them. Her officials are like wolves tearing apart their prey. They shed blood and they kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds and they they whitewash my words and they give false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord, in fact, has not spoken. The people of the land, they practice practice, um, extortion and they commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and they mistreat the alien, denying them justice. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. So I'm going to pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. Ezekiel's writing about what's happening in the land. He's talking about, look, this is total chaos. And your nation is in need of healing. And a lot of what he's writing passage is the same things that we're experiencing in our nation today. And so when we ask the question, is there a leader among us that can solve these dilemmas? The answer to that question is no. There's not. There's not a single man. In fact, that's exactly what happens to Ezekiel. God is searching for a man among them who could build the wall, who can stand in the gap before me and the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. So I'm going to pour out my wrath on them. I'm going to consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their heads all they have done, declares the Lord. And so what does the fiery anger of the Lord look like? What does it mean to bring down his wrath on the heads of people that are listening? Well, basically what he's doing is he's saying that I'm going to rain down on them all that they have done. Have you ever heard the expression, you reap what you sow? If you lie with dogs, you get with fleas, choose your company well. Everything that's happening right now to us, God can rain back down on us in the form of punishment. You know, God is not a, God is not a mean, wrathful God through our decisions, through our behavior, through our decision-making. God just turns that back on us as a part of his wrath. So he doesn't have to do anything. We're doing it. He's just turning us back. He's just turning that right back on us. Hey, if you guys want to redefine marriage, if you want to turn away from me and redefine marriage, go for it. If you want to celebrate same-sex relationships, go for it. If you want to legalize abortion, go for it. If you want to disregard my Sabbath day and fill it up with your own stuff, go for it. If you want to love yourself more than others, it's all yours. You want to be in control in your life and ignore me, go for it. You want to practice extortion and robbery, go for it. God takes everything that's going on in the nation and he turns it back on them as a form of his fierce anger, raining it down on their heads, all that they have done. And I can't help but look around at some of the things that are going on in our nation and wondering, what are we doing to bring this on ourselves? And how do we fix this? There's not a single leader that can fix this. And, and the solution is, is that, you know, that we turn to God and trust him with the solution. Ezekiel's going to get a vision. But God says this in verse 33 of chapter 26. On the day that I choose to act, I'm going to cleanse you from all your sins. I'm going to resell your towns and the ruins will be built. And so in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of the chaos in Ezekiel's time, God says this, I'm going to act. My plans are going to be accomplished and I'm going to bring an end to the chaos and offer healing. And that's where we are to turn today. When I look around at 
everything that's going on, it's so easy for us to get caught up in what's going on in the world and to think about, well, what can we do? What leader can we turn to? And it's easy for us to think about what's happening right now from a world perspective. But we have to back up and think about it from a kingdom perspective. God is in control. And when he acts on that day, he's going to cleanse us from all our sins, resettle our towns, and rebuild the ruins. God knows that this period that Ezekiel is going through is going to happen. So we're reading through chapter 22, and Ezekiel's recording everything that's happening, and he's talking about what's going on. God knows that, that this is coming, so he's not surprised by it. It's not as if he looks down and says, oh, wow, I did not know they were going to do that. He knows that we're going to do that. And he offers a solution in spite of that. God's love for us is never ending. It's never failing. He's always there. We just need to turn to him. God says that this but in fact, when Solomon was building the temple, before it was even completed, and they were celebrating it, um, God tells Solomon, hey, look, there's going to be a, a period at which that um, this is going to happen. And the solution for you is going to be this. When this happens to you, if you will call on my name, if you will humble yourselves, if you will pray and seek my face and turn from your evil ways, I'm going to hear you from heaven. I'm going to forgive your sin. And I'm going to what? I'm going to heal. Healing is something that God alone can provide for us at a time like this. And we've been entrusted with a hope and a message that our culture desperately needs to hear. The president is not where to turn. Other leaders are not where to turn. If we turn anywhere other than to God, we are shorting ourselves and we are moving in disobedience. That is not what God would have us do. He does not want us to try to take control. He is God and we are not. And he alone offers us help in our chaos in healing. It is God that will act and bring about an end to the chaos and offer healing. And he gives us hope. It is God where we find our hope. And that's the message that God would give to Ezekiel. By the time we get to chapter 37, God said that he's going to act. And he's saying that I'm going to act for my purposes, and for my glory, so that the people will know who I am. Our hope comes from turning from him into, into his word. That's always been the solution. It always will be. It's a solution in the past. It's a solution in our present situation. It's going to be our solution for tomorrow. God alone offers healing. God alone that offers hope. And it's God alone that offers us life. As we turn to chapter 37, we see God starts to unfold all the hope that is ours in him accomplishing his plans. In chapter 37, beginning in verse 1, he says, Ezekiel says this, The hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were dry. And he said, Son of man, can these bones live? You know, in the midst of the chaos and the desolation and the death and people being hauled off. God says, look around and visualize this desolation. Look at all these dry bones. Think about all that's happened right now. Do you think that these dry bones, these dead bones can come back alive? Do you think that I can bring what is dead back to life and make it alive? And it's a reference not just to the fact that we're going to die 
And at some point, Christ is going to return and we're going to be made alive again. But in the midst of our situation, in the midst of our chaos, when we're looking for healing and hope, is God able to speak into that? And the answer is yes. Ezekiel says, you alone know. He said to me, prophesy to these dry bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will make breath enter into you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and I will make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will breathe in you and you will come to life and you will know that I am God. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise. There was a rattling sound and the bones came to life, bone to bone. And then I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on the skin, covered them, and, and the, but there was no breath in them. And so he said to me, prophesy to the breath and say, son of man, say to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come four winds, O breath, and breathe into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. And they came to life and they stood up on their feet and there was a vast army. And they said to me, son of man, these bones are reflective of the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy to them and say, the sovereign Lord says this, O my people, I'm going to open your graves. I'm going to bring you up for them. I'm going to bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord your God. When I open your graves and bring you up for them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land And then you will know that I, the Lord, your God, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. And so in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our chaos, God offers us hope. God says that I'm going to accomplish my plans. And when you feel like you're dried out and you have no hope, you need to turn to me. God can bring life to death. God will put his spirit in us and we will find life. I will settle you in your own land, and then you will know that the Lord God has spoken to you. I have done it, declares the Lord. And so in the midst of our chaos, God promises us order. In the midst of death and destruction, God promises us life. God can bring order to chaos. God can heal any situation. God can bring the dead to life, and God offers us hope. You know, the first time I engaged this passage, I got to tell you, it was one of my favorites. <laughs> when Dan asked us to pick our favorite passage, it was just, that, was a, uh, that wasn't fair because every single one of these is great. Absolutely love. I get so excited uh, when I approach scripture. The stories just, they just come to life for me. And I can remember the first time I ran into uh, this passage, I was at school and uh, I had an opportunity to have uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, one of my professors. He's a uh, teacher down at Moody Bible Institute, and uh, he's also had an opportunity to teach um, several classes. And so I had an opportunity, me and a couple other guys um, were looking at this passage, and we were studying it. And one day for class, we read it, and we were just kind of talking through the application. And he said, when you come to class next week, I want you to all come in your cars. We're going to take a field trip. And so we got to class that uh, next week, and... We met up and we got some instructions and he said, uh, okay, let's go. He gave us some address and so we all figured out where we were going. And so we pulled up, we pulled up to the cemetery. <laughs> you know, Lutheran 
five guys. And so we're walking through the cemetery in the middle of the afternoon. I tell you, it was really a strange feeling to just kind of be walking around the cemetery. We're looking and we're talking. And so anyway, he picks up his Bible. He brought his Bible with him. And uh, he walked up to one of the headstones. And so he's standing at the headstones. And he opened it up. So we're all watching. This is going to be interesting. So he leaned over and he said, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm a breath into you and you're going to come to life. I'm going to attach tendons to you and I'm going to attach flesh and I'm going to cover you with skin. I'm going to put breath in you and you are going to come to life and you'll know that I'm Lord. And so at this time, we're we're all like, wow, it's kind of weird. And so he he does it again. And so he turns around and he says, well, I guess that's not what God's plan was for us today. But let me ask you this. Do you believe God can do that? Do you believe that God can bring the dead back to life? And then he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, if you don't believe that God could raise those bones up from the dead, do not step into that pulpit. Do not preach that the Word of God can transform the dead and bring them back to life if you don't believe it. God's Word is living and active. It's able to, to cut to the center of our hearts. It's able to restore what was dead and bring it back to life. And the hope that we have in Christ is that at one day he's going to return and we are going to be made new. We're going to be transformed. We have the hope of heaven to look forward to. And that's the comfort that we can find when we're at, when we're at the end of the day, when, we're, when we all have to face that fear. I know, amen, right? <laughs> that's what I'm looking forward to. Those words, I tell you, comforted me so much when I was talking with my mom. Those words comfort me so much when I think about my own mortality. I like have conversations with other people because you either believe that it's true or you don't. And it all hinges on what you've done with Christ in terms of whether the reality of that's going to happen. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He raises dead things. He makes all things new. God's Word is life-transforming and life-giving. Our passage in Hebrews 4.12 says this, The Word of God is what? It's living and active. It's not just a book. It's living and active. It's, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. I got a new knife the other day. Have you ever picked up a new knife? You can cut paper with it, and it's just all sharp. God's Word is sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates like a scalpel to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges our thoughts and our attitudes and our hearts. God's Word is life-transforming. It will change us if we'll let it. God is looking for open hearts. You know, my prayer is is that God would go before us as a ministry, preparing the hearts and minds of people in our community to hear about the good news. It's my prayer that as people come in to church on Sunday morning, that they don't have a relationship with Christ, that they would come to understand how to have one. It's my prayer that for people that have been believers for 50 years, they're trying to figure out what next is going to happen, that God's Word would speak to them in a fresh new way. God's Word is life-transforming. Romans 12.1 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we meditate on Scripture, God guides and directs us and gives us clarity and wisdom. And so as I look around today at what's going on in our culture, I know that God is the one that can bring about healing in our land. And that message our culture and our community desperately needs to hear. We have been entrusted with a message that God can bring order to our chaos. God can bring order to our situation. He can bring the dead to life. 
The Bible is the Word of God. It's life-giving, life-changing, life-transforming, life-sustaining, and offers hope. I had an opportunity to talk with uh, Tony Lopez a while back about his testimony. And Tony's going to come out now, and I've asked Tony to share with you um, what his journey has um, looked like as he thinks through um, his his faith journey. And I know that um, a lot of times when we talk about the dead coming back to life, I can remember before I was before I was a believer, my, I would char- characterize my life as being dead. <laughs> and so just being dead to my sins just and just and being far from God. And I know as I've listened to you share your story, um, it's just been, I think, a powerful illustration for what it means to bring the, the dead back to life. And so if you could um, just tell us a little bit about um, what was your life like um, before you had a relationship with Christ? Well, um, I'm going to clarify something from the first service. After, yeah. after it, I, I kept being asked, I was asked if I was born in Mexico because <laughs> I said that I was raised in Chicago. I'm originally from Texas, but raised in Chicago since the age of three. Um, and it, it, uh, I was raised in a family with, without God. Our family didn't know God, never uh, went or, or had us go to church. Um, and then the neighborhood I lived in was uh, like a mile wide and half a mile or a mile long and half a mile wide. And, and within that area, there was like 240 gangs. And I, worked, uh, I grew up in a, in a dark world, a uh, world of violence and, and drug addiction. Uh, I became a drug dealer. Um, uh, I drank at the age of 13. I was drinking, taking hard drugs, um, and uh, got involved in gangs. I, I hurt people. I, I, I've been hurt. I've been, I've been beaten. I've been stabbed. I've been shot. Um, and and then uh, it seemed like you know what I was reaping, I was sowing. Um, and it it uh, I didn't realize it, you know, that I'm 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 living in a as you just said, is in a sinful world. I was, I was without hope, and uh, and that's the that's the life that I live. Yeah, you know, I talk to um, I talk to people all the time about their faith stories and their testimonies, and I think, um, you know, everyone's story is different. I've heard I've heard thousands of different faith stories. I've never heard the same story twice, and uh, you know, I think a lot of times we listen to stuff like that, and it's like we can't connect with it, or we think, well, hey, my my life wasn't that bad. And so uh, I think there's a tendency sometimes to kind of compare ourselves. But you know what's interesting is that um, we're all, when we're far from God, we, we all have the potential to experience those same things. And so it's by God's grace that some of us have. You know, sometimes people have to experience different things. And, um, you know, as I was listening to you share your story, I was just getting a sense of, you know, the desperation that comes from that. When somebody's looking into that situation and they see it, it's like, wow, what do I, what do, we do with that? I mean, how do I, how do I help? And, and that sense of just being kind of dead to your sin or being far from God, it is. It's a hopeless feeling. But, you know, it, but we know that, that God doesn't leave us there, and God offers us hope. And it's our relationship with Christ that he's able to lift us out of that. And so I know that you made a, you made a faith commitment when you were, uh, how long, 1980? 19, yeah, 1989. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about how you had to, how, how did you happen to come to, to understand your need for a relationship with Christ to this? Well, uh, by 18, 1989, I was already 30, 31, uh, and uh, married to Irma, also in the known as the AKA, also known as the Amen ladies. Uh, but anyways, we had our first son Tony, and uh, I wasn't in gangs anymore, but uh, I was still drinking, I was still uh, taking drugs, I was still partying, uh, just having a good old time, and and that led to an affair. Um, I had told my wife that I wanted a divorce. Marriage just wasn't for me. Uh, but something kept me in the marriage. And 
and uh, we winded up trying to work it out, and I knew that I had to uh, earn Irma's trust back. I, j I just didn't know how. Um, so one day her brother uh, invited us to his church, and uh, very sarcastically I said, well, I, what, you know, I've got nothing more to lose, and you know, those weren't the, the words I used, but uh, we went, and, and for the first time in my life, that was my first uh, time uh, attending a church service. And as I sat there, we had a speaker who was actually the president of Emmaus Bible College in Iowa. Uh, he was the brother-in-law of uh, one of the elders there. And um, as he's speaking, I'm just sitting there, and I was in awe because he was talking about my life. Everything that he was saying, he was, I was like, that's me. Um, and I realized, like, uh, I know you were going to talk about Lazarus first, but you changed it on me. So. <laughs> but anyways, like Lazarus, uh, you know, I realized... Uh, that, that I was dead, you know, maybe not uh, physically dead, but nonetheless, I was dead. And, um, and just like Jesus uh, called out to Lazarus, I felt Jesus calling out to me to uh, come out. Yeah. And I accepted that invitation. Yeah. You know, uh, John 6, 44 says that no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. And so the Spirit of God is external drawing you into a relationship with himself until his spirit can kind of take over. And so it's just it's fascinating to say you, you come to the point where you have no place else to turn. I'm surprised how many times people will kind of fight that in the sense that, well, no, I want to be in control. But, yeah. you know, when you get to the point that you understand, hey, look, I, I got no place else to go, that's where God meets us. He's close to the brokenhearted, and it's there that he meets you. And so I know you've been a believer now for 20, some, some, some years now. So what's your, uh, what's your life been like? Since having made you well, it's completely changed. Uh, one thing I realized is that I had to uh, break away from, from my friends because, uh, you know, they were just leading me down the bad road. But ever since, I was, I was blessed enough that uh, at this church I, I had a mentor who, who helped me. Uh, you know, I knew nothing about God. I knew nothing about the Bible. And he kind of took me under his wing and he led me. Uh, then as I, we moved out here uh, in 93... Uh, I was blessed again. I, I found another mentor here, and, uh, uh, you know, he kind of took me under his wing as well. And, I mean, it, my spiritual life, I, I matured it. I matured in it. I, I, uh, I have a, uh, I'm involved in a Bible study with me and my wife. Uh, I've also been blessed to lead a men's group on Saturday mornings. Um, and it's, it's totally different, you know. I, I, I realize now that... Uh, you know, as I look back at my life, it was, you know, all that that happened, I thought I was in control, but I wasn't. And, 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 and on several occasions to what happened to me, I was, I was, uh, I could have died. And, but it was God, you know, for his plan in my life and his, through his mercy and his grace, he, he's the one that saved me. Um, uh, now, you know, it, it, being a Christian doesn't mean God's word doesn't say that if you're a Christian, you're going to be uh, uh, free of any trials or any tribulations in your life. Uh, they're going to occur. But the only difference now is that <clears throat> I know I've got an awesome king. Uh, yeah. I know now who I am. I know that now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child of the, of the one true king. You know, yeah. he's, he's changed me and, and he's freed yeah. me. Amen. Yeah. Praise God. Ezekiel prophesies those dry bones. I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to accomplish my plans in you. And it's really great to be able to experience that and be able to live that. It's been exciting to watch the influence that you've had on our First Impressions team, your leadership there, the influence that you're having over other men. And so, uh, Tony, let me pray for you. I want to thank you for coming up and sharing with us. Father, I just want to thank you for Tony's uh, faith story. Thank you for the work that you've done in his life. I thank you for the work that you've done in my life. I thank you that your word is living and active and able to change us and transform us and make us new. 
God, thank you that you can bring life to those things that are dead. And uh, God, I want to thank you for the opportunity we have um, just to kind of hear about what that looks like. I know a lot of times we study these passages and we try to figure out what's it look like. But God, thank you uh, for Tony's uh, faith story. Continue to transform and renew him as he studies your word. I lift him and his family up to you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, bye. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, Paul writes this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in your sin. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in you are those of the ones that are disobedient. All of us have lived among them at, at one time gratifying our own cravings and our own sinful nature and following its desire. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, makes us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seats us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages... He might show his incomparable riches and his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus to others. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. We are God's workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. God is going to accomplish his plans in and through us as we turn our face to him. God is able to make those things that were dead new. He raises us up in the heavenly realms so that the coming ages, he might show them the comparable riches of his grace as well. Jesus prays in John 17 for the sanctification of the believers, that they might become more Christ-like, that they wouldn't be in the world not and be of it, but, but they would be in it and influence others so that those that see them would come to know him and believe in him. God has called us into a relationship with himself for the purpose of helping others to be able to find that same hope of salvation. And so as we look around at the chaos going around us in our culture today, the body of Christ has an unprecedented opportunity to share the love of Christ with others. As we think about the impending elections, we have an opportunity to prostrate ourselves before God and pray that God's will would be done. As we engage in conversations with people about racial issues, about cultural issues, about those things that are dividing our country, we have an opportunity to speak a loving message into lives that are hurting and are far from God. I don't know where each of you is this morning, but it's my prayer that God would draw you closer to Himself. We were all dead once and we have been made alive in Christ if we have a relationship with Him. I understand not everyone has a relationship with Christ. I talk to people all the time. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love talking to people about where they are with Christ. And I would say 50 to 75% of the time, people are just not secure in how to have a relationship with Christ. They're not secure in where they're going. They haven't experienced this new life that's available to us. They haven't experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit coming into their lives and they just don't know how to, what a faith commitment looks like. If you have not given your life to Christ, if you are, don't have that security, if you haven't experienced that new life, then today I want to invite you to 
Make a decision to place your faith in Christ. Because the world leaders are going to let you down. Culture is going to let you down. Everybody's going to let you down. But God will not let you down. God will sustain you. He will give you new life. He will breathe into you. He will make you new. And he will offer you hope. And so if you have never had an opportunity to make a faith commitment, if you've never had an opportunity to come into a relationship with Christ, I want you to prayerfully ask God, his spirit, to draw you through that barrier. For some people, it's a barrier. Now, you have a welcome slip attached to your uh, program this morning. I want to invite you to tear that off with me. If you've never had an opportunity to make a faith commitment, you have questions about that, you can indicate that right there. You can put a little check mark by that. Maybe you've never had an opportunity to be baptized. The wedding ring is a symbol of my covenant commitment to Christ. It didn't save me. It doesn't get you. It identifies me with my wife. And baptism identifies us with Christ. And if you've never had an opportunity to be baptized and you have questions about that, you can indicate that on that welcome slip. You know, commitment is an all-time low in our culture. And, and the body of Christ needs you. We have, been, we have been called into a relationship so that we can perform the work that God prepared in advance for us to do together. And so being a part of the local body of Christ is, in, is a critical component of how we live out our faith. And so if you have questions about our vision, our mission, our values at Springbrook, or you're interested in membership, you can indicate that. If you've never experienced the joy of being in a small group, I love teaching and I love being in church. This is a lot of one-way conversation right now. The Spirit of God's at work. But I love getting around other people and, and reading passages together and, and asking questions together and learning together. And small groups are so much fun. We have four small groups right now going for men this summer. Tony's leading one on Saturday. We have others. We've got some women's groups meeting. We have a couple a couple's groups meeting. And this, this uh, fall, we're going to launch a church-wide initiative um, to get everyone in to have an opportunity to experience small groups. If you're interested in that, um, you can indicate that there. If you're looking for a place to get connected and serve and make a difference, to build up the body of Christ, there's opportunities to serve. If you're looking for opportunities to influence others, you know, Tony talked about a mentor. We're being intentional about investing in our leaders as we think about coming alongside people through our ways to get alongside through our discipleship initiative. Pastor Dan's on um, vacation this month. When he comes back, we're, we're going to be working on our discipleship pathway. How do we intentionally make disciples and how do we come alongside other people? And if you're looking for an opportunity to, to be a leader and invest in the lives of others, man, I would love to talk with you about that. This welcome slip is an important piece of paper. It's how you can share with us what God's prompting you to do. Or maybe something that you have, might have questions about, something that we can pray for you on. And so if you would, put your name on the front. A lot of times I get questions or feedback or comments, and I don't know who to talk to if I don't have a name. So <laughs> if you put your name on there and on the back, just indicate an interest there. Our ushers are going to come forward now. love the opportunity to collect these from you and have an opportunity to talk with you. And so if you have any questions, I'll be in the service for a little bit um, afterwards. I'd love to talk with you, or I can follow back up with you. You'll turn those communication cards in. Would you pray with me as we um, bring this portion of our service to a close? Father, I just thank you that your word is living and active. I thank you for the stories of life change. God, I thank you for Tony's testimony and for the testimony of every person in here that's a believer. God, you make dead things new. You bring the dead back to life. There's no battle between good and, and evil. That was settled at the cross. But God, there's a battle for us. And so I pray that you would just strengthen us, strengthen our resolve, increase our faith. May we have an ever-increasing sense of your presence in our life. And God, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to come together this morning to be encouraged and to worship you. And God, I thank you for your provision for our ministry. Thank you for this day that you've given us. We commit it to you for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.